Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. For the Jews, they thought the problem was the Romans. The Romans were not the problem. Sin was the problem. Satan behind the scenes was the problem. Death itself was the problem. And the Romans were just a symptom of the real problem. Jesus is here to deal with the real problem. You know, nothing's changed. That's the world we live in today. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 33, in a message titled, The Messiah. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now, Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So we are now at this crucial turning point in the ministry of Jesus. And and just as Jesus, remember in our last teaching, we looked at how Jesus brought healing to that man who was blind. And we saw how, how it was a gradual healing for the blind man. At this point, Jesus is now going to begin to gradually open the spiritual eyes of the disciples and give them the correct understanding of who he is and a correct understanding of of the Messiah because they had a wrong view of the Messiah. All, All Jews were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. But as we're going to see, they just had the wrong picture of what the Messiah would look like. And so here at this particular moment in the ministry of Jesus, some have called it the watershed moment. And it's because now his identity is clarified and his mission is also more or less laid out for them. So the first part of Mark's gospel up until this point Jesus has been revealing his identity, but it hasn't yet become totally clear to them just exactly who he is. They're they're still not 100% sure. I mean, obviously they know Jesus is from God. They know, you know, he's a prophet. But you remember, for example, in the story of the storm on the sea, when Jesus calms the sea, remember what they say afterward? They said, who can this man be? So they haven't yet fully understood who he is. Here's that moment where all mystery about his identity is cleared up. And he affirms that, yes, indeed, 
he is, just who Peter announces him to be. So this kind of brings the first part of the gospel to a conclusion. Now Jesus is clearly identified. And, and then the second part has to do with the mission, has to do with just exactly what the Messiah is going to do. And that has to do with his death and resurrection. So today we want to look at both the identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, or to put it another way, we want to look at the Messiah, who he is, and what he came to do. And so the passage that we read, a few things just real quickly to to get the the context of where all of this transpired. We read there that it was in the area of Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus takes them uh, away to this place. Now, this is up in the northern part of the land of Israel at the base of Mount Hermon. And this place, Caesarea Philippi, today, if you go to Israel, the place is known as Banyas. And it's known as Banyas because the Arabs have given it that name. Its ancient name was Panyas. And it was called Panyas because it was an area where there was a temple to the god Pan. And in Arabic, there's no P sound, so they say Banyas. And if you go to Israel today, that's part of the tour. You go to Banyas and you go to the place where this whole conversation took place. Undoubtedly, this is where the conversation took place because in Matthew's account, which is a little broader, a little more full, Matthew tells us that Jesus says to Peter, whose name, by the way, means rock or stone, he says to Peter, after Peter makes his confession, he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, that's super significant if you go to the location Because right there, that ancient spot where those idolatrous temples were, in the backdrop of it, is a massive rock mountain. And the mountain looks a bit like El Capitan in Yosemite. It's much smaller than El Capitan, but it's that sort of thing. You know, you look at El Capitan, it's just this gigantic rock face. And that's what this backdrop looks like as well. So Jesus takes advantage of the opportunity right there. He's in the, the a center of paganism, and he's affirming that, yes, he is the Christ. He is the one who has authority over all principality and power. And upon this confession that Jesus is the Christ, upon this rock of, of him being the Messiah, uh, the church would be built. And so that's the, the background for the story that we have here. Now, there's questions that Jesus asks. The first one is, as we see, who do people say that I am? So that, that's the first question. Who do people say that I am? Notice that Jesus didn't ask what people thought about what he said or did. Now, this is a very specific question about who he is, about his identity. And in those days, people were saying things about him. Uh, Some said that maybe he was John the Baptist. Herod even thought that. 
Herod thought that John the Baptist was raised from the dead and, and that Jesus was a, a resurrected version of John the Baptist. Some said he was John the Baptist. Some thought maybe he was Elijah because the prophets had declared that before the coming of the Lord, the Elijah would come. So they thought, well, maybe he's Elijah. In Matthew's gospel, Jeremiah's name is included in there. Some thought he was Jeremiah. And then they just thought, well, maybe he's one of the prophets. So the point is, the things that they said about him were, were good. I mean, they recognized him as a spiritual authority of some sort, but they missed who he really was. And, you know, that same kind of thing happens today as well. There, there are people today who are happy to consider Jesus in a, a rather positive light spiritually, but nevertheless would not want to give him the, the position that he claims for himself. So there, there are still people today, plenty of people today, who would say uh, about Jesus that he was, uh, for example, that he was a great moral teacher. There are people that will say that today. And there are people today that would say, as a matter of fact, one person did literally say this, that Jesus was the greatest religious genius that ever lived. Others have said he's a wise man. Some have said he's a prophet. Someone even said that he was the first socialist. And from, that, from their perspective, that was great. Jesus was a socialist. But you know, these very same people who would be willing to say those kinds of things about him, where they're in a sense affirming that, yes, well, Jesus was an important spiritual leader in history. They would at the same time adamantly deny Jesus' own claim for who he was. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he addresses this very thing. And let me read to you what he said. He said, I am trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Here's what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him as God. That is the one thing, Lewis says, we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So for those who think that they're being very generous, well, sure, Jesus was a great moral teacher or, well, Jesus was a prophet no, what they're actually doing is they're detracting from who Jesus claimed to be. So that was what was in the air in those days. So now Jesus turns specifically to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And here, Peter really shines. Peter says, you are the Christ. Now, again, 
this, this is an amazing statement on the part of Peter when you consider the background that, that Peter himself and the other disciples had. Now, like I said initially, all of the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. But Jesus was not fitting the, the picture of what the Messiah would be like in the mind of every single Jew. So the Messiah is, he's the savior. And mainly they saw him as a political military type of a, of a figure. That what the Messiah was primarily going to do is he was going to conquer those who were oppressing Israel and he was going to take and elevate Israel to a place of, of world dominion. That was the, the Jewish messianic hope. So now when Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, he is completely breaking out of the mindset of the day and he's attributing now to Jesus who doesn't have any of those outward marks of being a great political or military figure. Peter's saying, no, you are the Christ. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells him this. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven revealed it to you. So Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you know that because God revealed that to you. You see, Peter would not have naturally been able to draw that conclusion because of the background. Now, again, just really quickly with the, the whole idea of the Christ, that's the Greek version of the Messiah. And in Old Testament life, you had these people that were designated as the anointed ones. So the prophets were anointed, the priests were anointed, the kings were anointed. And that signified somebody whose God's hand was upon those people. And so what happened over time is there began to be this realization that this whole idea of, of somebody being anointed, this was going to culminate in one person. There would one day be not just a Messiah among many, but there would be the Messiah. And the Messiah would be the anointed one, the one that God specifically commissioned to come into the world and to put everything right that's been wrong. But, of course, in the context for Peter and them, the real focal point would be Israel. And the rest of the world would benefit from it, but it, it was more specifically about Israel. And so there was this tremendous expectation at the time of the apostles. There, there had already been, uh, during the lifetime of Jesus and, and slightly before, uh, many people who had come along and made the claim to be the Messiah. And they always sort of fit the bill of being a military type of a person, going to overthrow the oppressive powers, going to set up a kingdom. They, they failed. They were wiped out. But now Jesus comes on to the scene. And again, he doesn't, he doesn't fit into that picture but Jesus obviously is very much different because he has this amazing spiritual authority and power that nobody's ever seen before. And so when he asked the question, Peter says, you are the Christ. And that was the right answer. But now here's where it gets really interesting. So Peter gives the right answer. You are the Messiah. 
And now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to begin a process of educating them about who the Messiah really is and what the mission of the Messiah actually is versus what they had thought versus their their wrong understanding. And so as we pick up in verse 31, notice what it says. And so, you know, upon that declaration by Peter, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, it says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's a messianic term we'll come back to in a minute, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So put yourself in the place of these guys right now. Because all the way along, you know, they're seeing all of these amazing things with Jesus. He speaks with authority. Nobody's ever spoken like him. He has power over demons. He can give a word and heal the sick and raise the dead. He can do all of these things. And in their minds, they're like, you know, I don't know who he is, but he's somebody special. Obviously, he's great. And we're, we're still not quite sure. But now this moment, it's like, you're the Messiah. Yes, I'm the Messiah. He's the Messiah. They would have just been looking at it and said, this is it. The Messiah is here. And now everything that we have hoped and dreamed for, this long-awaited deliverer for Israel has now come and the kingdom's gonna come and the Romans are gonna be out and we're gonna be in and it's all gonna be great. And Jesus says, no, that's not quite it. Let me tell you what it's actually going to be. Yes, there is going to be a messianic kingdom, but it's not going to come the way you think it's going to come. Rather, the the Son of Man must suffer and be betrayed, rejected, and must die. I mean, this was like, what? No, 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 no. This, this, This cannot happen. And so Peter, understandably, he comes back And he takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him. (laughs) I mean, think think about this, you know. Oh, Jesus, no, 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 no. Okay, let let me tell you what the Messiah is going to do. You know, what do you you mean dying and rejection? And what, what are you talking about, Jesus? This is Peter's doing. He's rebuking Jesus. And notice what happens next. It says, but... When he had turned around and looked at his disciples, Jesus, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So you see, this is the problem. Peter, he's thinking of the Messiah just in human terms. He's seen things only through the lens of fallen, sinful humanity. He's seen the Messiah only through the lens of what is going to be beneficial and helpful for himself and his people, Israel. He doesn't see the the whole picture at all. And so Jesus rebukes him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Why Satan? Why does he say that? Because in the words of Peter the voice of the devil was was being echoed. Because maybe you remember earlier, Jesus 
went out into the wilderness and he had a confrontation with Satan. And if you read that in, in Matthew chapter four or Luke chapter four there, what you find is that there's a certain point where Satan says to Jesus, now remember, Jesus has come to redeem the world. That's his mission as the Messiah, right? And there's a certain point where Satan says to him, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. In other words, what Satan was saying is, you don't need to go to that cross. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to die. You don't need to go that route. I will give you everything. All the kingdoms of the world, they belong to me. They've been delivered to me. And I will give them to you if you will simply bow down and worship me. And remember there, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord and him only shall you serve. But you see, when Peter says to Jesus, not so, Lord, no way. This isn't going to happen to you. This is not the messianic path. As we all know, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's that same suggestion that you can have all of this and you don't have to do it God's way. There's a shortcut. I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. And so Jesus rebukes Peter and notice here, it says that he turned around and he looked at his disciples. Peter was just the, the spokesman for everybody. Everybody felt the same way. It, it wasn't just Peter. Everybody, everybody had the same understanding. Everybody had the same expectation of the Messiah. So when Jesus looks at them all, basically he's saying, listen, this is the reality. I'm going to tell you right now what, what the Messiah is about. So Peter, again, to just clarify, Peter didn't want a suffering Messiah. He wanted a Messiah that would kick out the Romans and restore the kingdom to Israel like it was during David's time. That was the picture. David was, you know, the, the Messiah was the son of David. He was going to reestablish the Davidic rule. And so he wanted a Messiah that would solve the political, social, and economic problems of the day. Peter, at this point, is just like everybody else. He doesn't understand the nature of the problem. See, for, for the Jews, they thought the problem was the Romans. The Romans were not the problem. Sin was the problem. Satan, behind the scenes, was the problem. Death itself was the problem. And the Romans were just a symptom of the real problem. Jesus is here to deal with the real problem. You know, nothing's changed. That, that's the world we live in today. Everybody thinks the problem is political. The problem is social. The problem is economic. And if we can just get these things sorted out, if we can just get the right people in power... If we can just get the right social structure, if we can just get the right economic understanding and application, it's going to fix everything. That's the utopian mindset. We can bring about a kingdom. And even back in those days, and still today, people think in terms of a messianic age. You know, people will talk about that today. What's a messianic age? It's the age of peace and prosperity, and, and it's going to come, and, and we're going to bring it in, and we're going to do away with these things, and, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to overthrow these people, and we're going to kick these guys out, and we're going to get ourselves in, and then we're going to really bring about utopia. We're going to bring about the messianic age. 
for the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. Deconstructed faith stories are being celebrated in our culture today. Abuse in the church, dismissed doubts, legalism, and suffering are only a handful of factors that are leading Christians to question their faith. In her book, Another Gospel, Elisa Childers shares her own journey of doubt and struggle that led her to re-examine her own faith and ultimately overcome the challenges of her faith. In this book, she battles progressive Christianity with evidence, insight, and clarity. To learn how to combat and survive the onslaught of progressive Christianity, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order another gospel by Elisa Childers. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.